Hi, this is Jesse Karen. And Rebecca Frank. And we are the hosts of Welcome, Welcome to, to My, My Vagina. Vagina. We will take you on a laugh till you queef adventure. Where we will destroy the taboos of sex, one well-researched episode at a time. It's a little like being in your sex ed class, but with actual information. And no uncomfortable gym teacher. We'll teach you to mind your business. Because a woman's body is her body, and anything you say or do otherwise will be used against you. So join us on our foray through the patriarchy. Where we shut down misogyny via the black holes in our vaginas. Please listen wherever you get your podcasts. And follow us on Instagram at Welcome to My Vagina. And Twitter at Welcome to My Badge. See you next Tuesday. Welcome to Vicious Cycle, the podcast about periods and the people who get them. I am your co-blost, Meg Hayes. I'm Kate Elston. And I'm Meg Trowbridge, and I'm fine with this. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. So we are so excited to bring you part two of Dr. Kate's episodes, uh, where we ask a gynecologist all of the... Um, Burning vagina questions and burning <laughs> vagina questions. <laughs> You're welcome for that joke. Um, <laughs> if you haven't listened to part one, go back and listen to it like five times. You're going to want to listen to it over and over again. You'll learn so much. Because you will be cursing whatever school you went to for not teaching you all this amazing stuff about your body. Uh, because that's what I was doing. Um, so in part two, we um, cover menopause, how stress affects your period, Pro tips on finding a good gynecologist, which that's the best part. Of this oh, episode. my God. That should be on like the f- home page of the Mayo Clinic. Apparently people <laughs> go there. Um, uh, and yeah, we've got some great, weird gyne- gynecological stories, which like are fun because we aren't her patient. Right. I'm just like <laughs> horrified for the person that she's telling the story about. <laughs> Like, it is confidential. We don't know this person's name, but they know it's from Alpha. If they're a listener, that's pretty amazing. Yeah. yeah. it's If it's you, call us. Oh my God. Please call <laughs> us. No shame in that horrible vagina game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, she talks about things she's pulled out of vaginas, which... I'm trying to think of all the things I've pulled out of my vagina. <laughs> no, it's your typical, typical <laughs> thing. It's day-to-day extractions. Yeah. Yeah. Have, have you guys pulled anything odd well, out of I, your vagina? I talk about in this episode something that came out of mine oh, yeah. that she often pulls out of other oh, people. Oh, oh. So. Gerbil. um also stay tuned for the end of the episode where we include a why i cried and a read my labias these episodes bring up a lot of emotions highs and lows for sure rage and tears basically in episode one when she was like some of these things make me mad not read my labias mad i was like Like it's like it's a a barometer people (laughs) are using it (laughs) um anyway Again, these like having these conversations with Dr. K like made me feel like I was heard. It made me wish that I had had 
better experiences with my gynecologists. Um, it made me jealous for all the people that are her patients. Like, mm-hmm. I want to write them a letter and be like, do you know how lucky you are? You better treat her nice and buy her chocolates. Her flowers. Okay, you are so lucky. Um, so please listen to these episodes. They are probably some of the most informative episodes we've ever recorded because we're and not doctors we're right. not doctors and, and like she is a doctor she's a literal doctor yeah strap in to your i don't know your, your dishes that you're doing i don't know what you're doing <laughs> do you do dishes when you listen to podcasts sometimes i do dishes I, when yeah I sometimes yeah. me too yeah play some um cookie jam on my phone it's okay. candy crush but not as difficult cookie jam <laughs> yes it's when i'm on my way home i pop in a, a podcast and i play uh wonka's world of candy what? okay, okay. <laughs> you're I, a wonka's world of candy yeah, now yeah. i never would have worked on it i play either minesweeper oh. og what? game what's that like what came on like original pcs with okay, like solitaire great. okay great. and also sometimes i play ken ken which is like sudoku but a different oh. kind of sudoku oh, wow. so you're like um, if any of these people want to sponsor us yeah. any of these games <laughs> ken ken happy to do it i believe you have a ton of money we we can shoehorn you... any of these into periods <laughs> <laughs> well i mean honestly when i play minesweeper on my period i don't do as good oh wow really no i don't know oh, i mean God. That. I was <laughs> like, you know, don't I'm say that to me <laughs> don't say that. I never understood Minesweeper. I don't think I ever will. Uh, we'll, we'll have a lesson after this. Oh it's, it's easier than you think. You okay. Guys, okay. Anyway, let's just get to the let's episode. Let's just do it. <laughs> let's just do it. Dr. Kate. Dr. Kate. Dr. Kate part two. Menopause. One. So one thing we heard from our moms was that not only are periods different for everyone, but that menopause is different for everyone. All of our moms had very different menopause stories. Um, and one theory that was thrown out there was that if you get your period at a young age, you tend to go through menopause at a young age. Uh, Meg Hayes's mom got her period really late and is still kind of going through it right now, menopause. So was wondering if that was accurate. So we actually used to think it was the reverse, that if you had an early period, you would have a late menopause. And if you had a late first period, you would go through it early. But then this really great big study came out and showed that there's absolutely no relationship. So that's why there's so much variation. There's no, no predicting. So, so there, it's not even opposite. It's there's, there's no, no, there's no prediction. No relationship. Yeah. But you are more likely to have a menopause just like you are a first period based on when your mom had it. That, that sort of, um, like not urban legend, but that, you know, that saying is true. So if you want a decent shot at predicting when you will get your first period when you're young or when they'll, you'll stop having periods when you're older is to ask your mom. And if she didn't have hysterectomy and her ovaries taken out, um, which would artificially send you into menopause, uh, it's a pretty good sign of when it'll happen for you. Oh, brother, that means my menopause is going to be rough. <laughs> <laughs> and Mentros is going to be easy peasy. Supposedly. Oh, man. That's, that was my next question. Yeah. Like, can do we, uh, yeah, are, is menopause like a genetic thing? That's so interesting. Yeah. The genes are part of it, but then there are other factors that can interfere as well. Things like smoking can make you have uh, an earlier menopause. And there are certain other like things that can change it too. But if your health is like your mom's health, yeah, sorry to say, it's probably what you'll be facing 15 years from now. <laughs> brother. <laughs> um, my mother uh, went through menopause. Then my older sister and her firstborn went away to college and she got her period back for a couple cycles. 
And her OBGYN told her, yeah, I've seen this before when the firstborn leaves the nest. Um, have you seen that? Not really. The, the definition of menopause, like when it's really over, is 12 months in a row of no periods. That is the sign that you know that you're done. The perimenopause, which is just the name for those years before sort of the, the final curtain, um, you can go longer and longer times before you have another period. So I have patients who are anxiously awaiting. They just want to be done. And they're like, okay, it's been eight months. Is this it? And I was like, well, we'll see. Do you get to a year? And then they have a period and they're so depressed and they have to like start the clock over again. <laughs> so I think it wouldn't be unusual if you're in that period of perimenopause to all of a sudden then get a few more cycles. But if they've stopped for good, if you had your 12 months and didn't get any bleeding at all, if someone started bleeding again, I think that might require a little bit of testing just to make sure things are okay. Good to know. Yeah. My mom just assumed that it was like her body being like, mm, we need another baby. Bloop. Here's another egg. <laughs> <laughs> we just have the basic question of, is it because your eggs ran out? Is that what sparks menopause? Yes and no. You still have eggs, but they are too old to ripen. So like you still have eggs in your ovary, but as your brain is sending out the hormones, trying to get your ovaries to produce an egg each cycle, the ovaries are basically saying, yeah, I, I'm done. And the brain then starts to panic and <laughs> pumps out more and more hormone, trying to get your ovaries to release an egg. And so sometimes you say, all right, here's one. And this is why you can still have periods really intermittently in this period of menopause. But eventually the eggs just say, Curtains, you know, curtains down, shop is closed, no more. And the eggs that are left will just sort of slowly dissolve. And the brain then eventually gives up as well. I love this analogy of like a theater because I'm thinking of like the brain being the stage manager, being like, go, you're on, go, it's your cue. <laughs> and the eggs being like, I'm done. I'm in my trailer, dude. Right? Like scarf, throwing scarf around. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. That is so and then funny. they just throw a bunch of understudies on stage and then you get pregnant at 50. <laughs> <laughs> and they're not the best eggs. <laughs> so we were going to ask you a little bit about stress and how it affects your period. Sure. Um, we got a, a call from a listener recently who was laid off and she noticed when she got stressed again, her period would be light or would disappear altogether. And Meg T, I don't know if you want to talk mm. to this Meg about your wedding. Yeah. I mean, for me, when it was like, I don't know, the four months leading up to my wedding, um, I basically just had a light period every two weeks. Is there anything chemically going on in your body um, between stress and your period? There absolutely is. When you are in periods of high stress, it causes a rise in the stress hormones in your body, specifically cortisol, and that affects the production of other hormones. Basically, the pathways in the brain start to get rerouted to make more cortisol to, re to help fight off the stress of whatever's going on. It's sort of like white blood cells in the blood when you have an infection. This is the brain rerouting the energy and all of the hormone ingredients to make more of this cortisol. 
which then leads to lower progesterone, which is the hormone that you really need to kick off the menstrual cycle that eventually leads to ovulation. So as your progesterone levels go down, it can delay or even skip ovulation. And then once that happens, all bets are off about what your bleeding is going to be like. This is where you then get more space in between cycles and then heavier periods because it's been delayed. Um, so stress absolutely is linked to your period. It's not always in predictable ways, but there really is a biochemical explanation of why it happens. Whoa, this That's is, yeah, really interesting. This is reminding me of our talk with Michelle because she was saying part of like the chemical reason why her period stopped is because the body doesn't see it as like a necessity. So it shuts that down in order to take care of other parts of the body. But I guess, yeah, if your body is like more concerned with other things, other hormones, it will stop that process. Like we don't need a baby right now. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah, especially because in times of stress, you're exactly right. It is not the time to get pregnant. So not only is having a normal menstrual cycle not a priority, but your body almost wants to prevent that from happening because heaven knows you don't need a baby right now to complicate whatever stressful situation you're in. I don't really, though, want to send the message that stress is good birth control. You really can't rely on stress right. yeah. on contraception. <laughs> we had a caller call in and say that their period has been gone for months. Uh, and I think after, you know, we've played our amenorrhea episode with Michelle, maybe that those people will have a little more clear understanding. But what would you say to someone who hasn't had their period in a really long time? I would say that while skipping a period once in a while is completely normal and expected. And again, this is again for the, uh, for people off of birth control, skipping a period once in a while is totally normal and not a reason to call the guy. No, my rule of thumb is once you've skipped three periods in a row, that's probably time to call the gyno. You talked to one of your episodes about periods being an indicator of other things about your health. And one of the biggest ways that that is true is when you skip them or get them too frequently. That could be a sign that your thyroid is having some dysfunction or that your pituitary gland is functioning too much, or you have PCOS. There are all sorts of things that could be and these are the kind of things that are diagnosed with blood tests. It's not very complicated or painful, but it would be important to know because before we would just chalk it up to stress or chalk it up to a weird time in your life, we want to make sure that it's not your body actually telling you something. So after three missed periods, I'd go to the gyno. Good note. Cool. Good uh, Let's do the weird stuff. Okay. Weird Yay. stuff. Weird stuff. Weird stuff. Um, I know someone who uh, is also a gynecologist and she mentioned in passing and I had to like, you know, confirm this is what she meant over dinner. I was like, what are you saying? So she said that she has heard of people who bleed in when they menstruate, it comes out as one long sheet, like wrapping paper. I think it's like how she described it. What, what is that? <laughs> okay. So it's time for visual exhibit number two. Um, so oh, no, oh my god <gasps> what it looks like uh, red seaweed this is called a decidual cast this is where the tissue starts to solidify in the uterus and then gets passed out all at once it can be egg shaped it could be in a strip 
or it can actually take the shape of the inside of your uterus, like <gasps> oh this baby. Oh, how, how common is this? And do people that get it have it every month? So I have never heard of this happening more than once. There are two situations that this is more common in. The first is actually ectopic pregnancy, believe it or not. It's this idea wow. of this tissue being built up in the uterus with no pregnancy and no signal to have a normal period. So it builds up and then eventually it can pass as a cast. So that's the biggest way that this happens. But the second is being on progestin birth control. There's something about higher doses of progestin making this kind of setup more likely. But in the situations that I have had with patients or what I've read in the literature, it happens once and then things usually reset. So if a poor listener is having something like this every month, that's probably worth a trip to the gyno for a conversation. And it's got to be extremely painful. It is because if you think about it, in order to pass something this solid looking, your cervix has to dilate. Oh, God. Like it actually needs to open up to let this tissue pass. So you get the usual kind of cramps and contractions, but now your body needs to go through like a mini labor oh my God. to pass this out. Yeah, so it's pretty awful. I love when we like get into detail about this and especially with the visual aids, uh, Meg Hayes just has to like fan herself. Like she's truly afraid she's going to faint and I, and I'm just staring at it. I mean, oh man. So progestin, Meg, you were on progestin birth control. Yeah. I mean, so I, cause I have, um, migraines without the headaches. I just get the eye auras. And so, but since I've told, you know, all my practitioners that they're like, well, let's not give you estrogen birth control. So if any, after a certain time, I was only ever on progesterone only, um, birth control. And yeah, my periods were just kind of all over the place, sometimes heavy, sometimes like not there. And ever since then I've been cloudy and I just wonder like, you know, it's interesting that you pointed out one, the fact that both an ectopic pregnancy and progestin birth control, <laughs> I like check off both of those boxes. Right. Yeah. So I'm so glad that nothing like this has come out of you. Yeah. I mean, I did have that big old clot. It was, it was big. Yeah. And like, I did have bad cramps leading up to that. Oh but. man. Ooh. That's so funny, Kate, that you had that photo at the ready. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you prepared. We appreciate it. That's bananas. Um, I th- I think we got to ask Kate about what the things she's pulled out of vaginas. Yeah. I'm dying. While we're on I'm this. dying yeah. to know. You, when we, you and I talked before, you had told me like, oh, the things I've pulled out of vaginas. And I was like, don't tell me now. Save it for the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so the first thing to know is that nothing will ever get lost inside your body. The vagina is sort of like a small tube sock in that it has a cuff at the end and nothing's going to go into crazy places. People always have this fear that stuff's going to get lost in there. That's not true. That said, the vagina is longer than you realize. And it is not unusual for things to sort of get tucked up at the top, up by your cervix. And the most common things that I will pull out are condoms and tampons. Um, Condoms often women knew about that it was in there and they were just unable to get it out themselves. 
but it is not unheard of for women to not realize that the condom was still in, thereby requiring a conversation with her partner. <laughs> yeah, that happened to me. Uh, mom, close your ears. Come back in 30 seconds. Um, I was having intercourse and he pulled out and there was no condom on him. And I freaked out because I was like, how dare you? He's like, I swear it was on. I swear it was on. And I was like, and I got plan B and like, just, mm. just to make sure I was like, I don't know. Um, and then I went to the bathroom like that next day and it fell. Oh, <laughs> and I texted him. I'm like, I found it. <laughs> the story I think, Kate, that we talked about on the phone or that I might've alluded to, this was a teenager. And this goes back to the learning how to use a tampon stories. Uh, a 15 year old came to me because she had vaginal odor and discharge. Now, a lot of women come to me with vaginal odor and discharge that they say is really bad. Everybody can smell it. And really, like in most cases, only you are aware of it. You know, you're the one seeing the discharge. You're aware of your own odor in a way that nobody else is. And so normally I just really reassure people that you, you, know, you may have an infection and we can fix it, but no one else knows. It's just you. So she said that she had had this discharge. It was really weird, this odor. And I said, okay, get undressed and I'll come back in the room. And when I came back in the room, the odor in the room was something I had never experienced before. Oh, wow. Just from her taking off her clothes. Oh, my gosh. And when I looked in her vagina, what I saw was a discharge that was orange. Oh, God. Almost neon orange. Uh, and a folded up plastic applicator? tampon applicator. <gasps> and I asked her if she knew it was inside and what came out was that she didn't know you were supposed to remove the plastic. God. So this was in so long that it actually had started to do some damage to the wall of her vagina. But thankfully, our vaginas are so forgiving of all the things that we do to them. So after I took out the applicator, you know, kind of just rinsed her with a little bit of salt water, she healed up beautifully. But she did say that she was never using tampons again. Listen, I, <laughs> I, yeah, fair. Um, what is the risk of TSS in that situation? Could she have contracted TSS? We're still a little unclear about what can cause TSS and what products can cause TSS. Yeah, TSS is so complicated and it hasn't gotten nearly the research that I think is needed, especially around things like menstrual cups. I know that you guys were talking about that during that episode. What's important to understand is that we have bacteria all over our bodies, in our mouths, in our bowels, and in the vagina too. And that's normal. And the staph bacteria that causes toxic shock is part of the natural environment for many to most women. So it's not the staph, like that's not the presence of the bug that's the problem. It's when there's an environment that allows the bacteria to grow much more rapidly than it normally would. And part of it, we think, is blood on a product of some sort, like a tampon or a menstrual cup, is a really rich environment for bacteria to grow. That's why what's one of the reasons we say to not leave in something that is blood-soaked or full too long, because now it's a Petri dish somewhat. The other issue is that it's not just the bacteria growing, it's that the staph bacteria releases toxins. The bacteria produces toxins that get into your bloodstream that cause you to get seriously sick. And it's a little unclear how that happens. 
is you've got these vaginal walls that are pretty resistant to infection. And one of the theories is that there are micro tears in the walls of the vagina, not a tear that you could see, but something microscopic that might happen like if a tampon's been in so long that it dries. Because a dry tampon chafing against the vaginal wall could cause these micro tears. So now you have this tampon that has had blood on it, that's been in for a while, that now starts to dry. Now you've given an environment for staph to grow and then to release the toxins into your body. And it's that one-two punch that can get somebody really sick. Going back real quick to the this, the odor of the young teen in the room. I don't think we quite unpacked that. And oh I... Also, just want to know if you can identify that smell like we did in the smells episode. <laughs> um, you know, you heard us say things like uh, swampy pennies and uh, <laughs> ma- rich mahogany desk or dusty rag uh, for a period smell or a vagina smell. Is it what was that smell like? Do I dare ask? <laughs> I, I am not the poet that you guys are, but just the phrase that comes to mind is eyelash singeing. Like it almost burned my eyes. Oh, <laughs> wow. Whoa. You are a poet, Dr. Kate. You are. A poet. <laughs> you evoke emotion. <laughs> oh, my Yikes. gosh. Okay. Um, let's move on. <laughs> so th- these two questions are kind of connected. Um, we had a listener ask about tips for finding a good gynecologist and signs of a good gynecologist. And then we also wanted to know what you do to make patients feel comfortable when they come to see you. Sure. So for finding a good gynecologist, it's like when you're trying to find a good hairdresser or a contractor, like you ask your friends and the people that you work with. Word of mouth is really probably the best way to know, especially for some for a doctor that is so has such an intimate relationship with you that if you can find a woman who says, or a person who says, I went to this gynecologist and they're really great, that's going to be better than any kind of like star review you're going to find as you Google. When it comes time to like what you should ask, I think patients who are not in medicine don't always think to ask questions that seem like practical or technical, but like, how does your office work? How am I going to hear about chest results? Are you going to call me? Are you going to send me a letter? Are you a no news is good news office? Because I'm not a big fan of that because stuff can drop through the cracks, right? Like you really want to hear about your test results, positive or negative. Um, How is it for urgent visits? Especially in gynecology, you get a yeast infection or a UTI. You don't want to be told, okay, the next visit's available in three weeks. No, 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 right? You need to get in really quickly. So how does the office handle things like that? That's great advice. God, really good advice. Do they make you go up and down levels to get your methotrexate? Oh, Meg, Meg. <laughs> that story, oh, it was so awful. <laughs> and then like signs of a good gyno, there is really good evidence that the average doctor will listen to a patient for somewhere between seven and 10 seconds before they interrupt. Think about that for a second. You get seven to 10 seconds before the average doctor just starts talking over you. So I think the first thing is that a doctor asks you questions and then sits back and shuts up and listens to what you have to say. And the last is that it's someone who respects your needs about whether to have an exam at all, 
about the pace of an exam, about what you want to know and what you don't, because a doctor really should be a partner to you in your healthcare. They know, you know, a lot of medicine, they went to school for a long time and have practiced, but you know your body, you know your worries, and you know what's important to you. And so a good doctor is going to partner with you on this and not forget that you should really be the one leading what happens, not them. What, what do gynecologists have in common? Like, why do they go into this field, would you say? I think there are a couple of commonalities. Most gynecologists are actually OBGYNs, so they're obstetrician gynecologists, and they really love both parts of that job. They love taking care of women over the course of their whole lives from the time that they get periods right through menopause, and they also love taking care of women when they're pregnant and delivering babies. But then I think that, and maybe this is me projecting from why I like gynecology, it is wonderful to get to take care of patients who really want to learn about their bodies and about their health. In straight medicine, doctors give a lot of advice. Lose weight, exercise, stop smoking, drink less. You know, and it's, it's all kinds of messages that nobody really wants to hear. But in gynecology is, okay, is that discharge normal? Okay, how can I tell? Okay, so I don't want to get pregnant now. I need help for that. But I really am going to want to get pregnant later. And how's that going to happen? And all the questions that women have, because our sex ed system in this country is so bad, women overall and patients who come see me really want to know about their bodies. And that is extraordinary to be able to actually teach in addition to taking care of. Yeah, like talk a little bit more about that. Like, what, do, what gives you joy in your day-to-day practice? Oh, when I finish an exam and a woman says, that's it? <laughs> and I say, yes, that's it. What gives me joy is when someone says, I have been so afraid of coming in or I haven't been listened to before. And I feel like you're really listening to me. That gives me joy. The patient who gets pregnant against the odds or after a long time of trying, I love doing an ultrasound on a patient who is pregnant. And sometimes the patient will start crying and then sometimes their partner will start crying. And oh my God, when both the patient and their partner are crying, then I start crying almost every single time. (laughs) (laughs) then what makes you mad in the room? Like you did a little read my labia earlier, but you know, what do patients come in? What kind of questions or things they don't understand that just kind of drives you nuts about the system or our education about our bodies? It drives me crazy when women apologize for asking questions. Mm. Mm. And I say you should never apologize or trying to get information about your body and your health. That is such a sign that the system and society have failed you. I am not going to fail you, but you should not feel bad that you don't know these things. That drives me crazy. The thing that probably drives me the most insane is when women don't like the appearance of their bodies, specifically breasts or genitals, because they don't think that it matches or conforms with some standard that they have heard about or read about or seen pictures or in porn. And when someone comes to me and says, I don't like my labia 
because I think they're too fat, too short, too long, whatever it is. That makes me want to scream and cry at the same time. Do people also apologize for pubic hair? My patients are primarily women. And so women apologize way too much in general. And my patients apologize for everything. If they're, they think their feet smell because they were in flats all day without those little liners that soak up the sweat. If they haven't shaved. And I'll make jokes like, in like how in the winter we all look like bears and no one's shaving because no one's legs are exposed. But they apologize for not shaving. They apologize if their pubic hair has not been shaved or removed or whatever, like whatever they're used to. They apologize for that. They apologize if they're bleeding. And I say, I would not have gone into OBGYN if I had a problem with a vagina that's bleeding. (laughs) Dr. Kate, can you come live with us? (laughs) (laughs) I am always here for you. What's the weirdest word you've heard for vagina? This is actually, I don't know if this is sad or interesting, but my patients don't actually have cutesy or funny names for their vaginas. Or if they do, they don't share it with me. What happens more often is that women don't call it anything at all. It's sort of a a gesture with their hand, you know, circling the area somewhere between, you know, their their waist and their knees. Or you talking about down there or there. And that also makes me kind of sad that just saying the word vagina seems so taboo still like it's a punchline or it's like you're saying it to shock and the older I get and the more I take care of people who have vaginas and being so frustrated with this I try to say the word vagina in as many conversations as I can (laughs) in restaurants on trains on planes and airports like because people need to hear it they need to hear that this is a word that is okay to say. It's not meant to make you giggle. It's not a bad word. It's just a body part. Ugh. Uh, <laughs> perfect grunt. <laughs> you asked, uh, it was a two-part question earlier about what I do to make people feel more comfortable in the office. Yes. Oh, yeah. um, so a few things. The first is that, especially with new patients, before we have a really good relationship, I always talk to them with their clothes on. Because once you get partially or fully naked, even under a gown with a doctor, it's hard to start hearing what the person's saying and you don't say the things that you wanted to say. Like it changes the whole dynamic. So I try to delay someone getting undressed as long as possible. The second thing is that when they are having an exam and they're on the exam table, I raise the head of the bed higher than I think a lot of other doctors do. I don't want you to feel like you're doing crunches in the middle of a gyno exam, but I want to make sure that their face is up high enough that they can see my eyes and that we can make eye contact during the exam. Because if you're lying flat, it feels much more like I'm doing something to you as opposed to me talking you through an exam that we're sort of getting through together. The other two things that can help people feel comfortable are, I tend to narrate my exams. Like I say step-by-step exactly what I'm looking for, and then very frequently say, and everything looks normal, which is really reassuring. I don't want her to have to wait until the end of the exam before she hears that. 
That's so nice. Yeah. And then the last thing is that especially a, a lot of patients will tell me that they've had a hard time with pelvic exams, particularly speculum exams. I mean, speculums are miserable. They were invented by men. They're long overdue for a redesign, but that's, a, no, that's another rant. So <laughs> I will offer to, to patients to place the speculum themselves because that way they know how fast it should go in, what the right angle is. And so I offer this to patients. I will hand them the speculum. I will lube up the end and then they can place it at the speed they want. And I think it's more comfortable. I'll also do that with those internal ultrasounds with that wand that is so long and massive is I will offer to patients to place the ultrasound themselves. I find that's much more comfortable than just us, you know, putting it in. I don't know if I would trust myself. <laughs> <laughs> I've never put in my own speculum, but one of the three intrauterine, uh, uh, Transvaginal. Thank you. Transvaginal um, ultrasounds I've had. Um, one of them told me to put it in myself. That's nice. And yeah, and I was like, oh, that's interesting. But then I got lube all over my thigh. <laughs> well, you know. I also offer a mirror if patients want to see what I see. I very rarely get that offer taken up, but I think it's still nice to offer because patients don't always look at their vulvas, at their vaginas. And if they want sort of a guided tour by a professional, <laughs> by, by a professional person who takes care of vaginas for a living, it can be another whole nice element to an exam to get to see it with a doctor's eye view. That's cool. I would love that. I would totally take up my gyno's offer if she's like, can I point it to you on a mirror? I'd be like, yes. Put it on a big screen TV while you're at it. <laughs> well, let's go. <laughs> HD. Why did I cry this week? Cry this week. Nobody's supposed to be here. When I talk about why I cried this week. <laughs> Dr. Kate, why'd you cry this week? So I think that whenever women and men have a chance to amplify the voices of women, it's an amazing thing. And I try to do that for the women that I work with and for the women who I train, because again, especially in medicine, their voices so often are not heard or not respected. But then I got the same treatment back to me where my partner at work talked about me to our boss so much and in such a way that it led to me getting a promotion. And she says that it would have happened anyway. And maybe that's true at some point, but her role in doing it and being really selfless was amazing. And so last weekend I was in Portland, Maine, visiting friends and went to this little jewelry shop and got this really funky pair of earrings made by a woman in Mexico and gave them to her this week. And she was confused why I was giving her a present not on her birthday. And I said, I think it's really important to recognize like you did something amazing. And then I started crying. <laughs> Aww. Congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, anyone else have a why I cried that they want to share? I don't know if I have a good one. This is really dumb. I texted Kate and Meg, um, 
a picture of a puppy in a tote today. <laughs> um, as I was walking to work, there was a puppy in a tote on someone's arm. And I, like, as I'm approaching, like the puppy and I locked eyes and like, I teared up. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just, one, I think I was just so excited that I got to meet this puppy. <laughs> I'm cheering up right now. <laughs> ridiculous. <laughs> this is such a sweet puppy. What was, his na- what was his name? Didn't even tell <gasps> me. You never even got his name. No. Yeah. <laughs> Ships in the night. Oh, my God. That's the real tragedy. <sighs> well, you could just name him yourself. His his name was Finley. Yeah. Okay. that's I okay. could see that. Right? That's a good one. I cried at Avengers Endgame, actually. that's ah. I did cry. Well, mm. Opening night of that movie. It's a superhero movie, but they they get you. They, get they went you. for it. They get you. I won't. No spoilers. Uh, I cried because of Pen15, mm-hmm. and I rewatched the choreographed dance at the end. Um, and it was beautiful. I love that show. And like they're, I, I, I love how they show how, how in love they are with each other. Yeah. Um, in a way that's like platonic and not sexual, but is like so deep, like, mm-hmm. and it just reflects a lot of female friendships that I have. And like this almost like soulmate level, like love that you have for each other. Um, I really appreciate from that show. Mm. Okay. You're here. Should we do a read my labias now too? I mean, Dr. Kate's come with all these things. I mean, do you have another one, Dr. Kate? A read my labia? Z- <laughs> My, I had a Mirena IUD in for years after the birth of my last kiddo, and I only had it taken out recently in the fall after um, about seven and a half years. What's funny about it is it was coming, it came out right around the time of the Kavanaugh Blasey Ford hearings. Oh and my God. It wasn't like I wasn't crying a lot then anyway, but I remember ranting to my poor husband about and you guys don't even know. And I'm back on my periods after eight years of not having them. And it's awful. And if you guys bled every month out of your ass, the whole world would be a different place. And like, it just felt like such an injustice. Like at the big level and the small level, I was feeling once again, how unfair it is that women have to have periods and that men have no idea. Uh, uh reach you follow our podcast are you I don't think I gave these to you in advance are you prepared to answer our three questions about like if your period could drink and that kind of thing I am okay (laughs) you're the best (laughs) um if your period could drink what would it drink so you know the first time I heard you ask that question in my head I thought it was if your period was a drink what kind of drink would it be? And so I spent time thinking about it before the next podcast. And then I realized what the question was. And I actually came up with an answer which because of this starts off. Okay. Then like turns into fire and then calms down. I was like, maybe it's like bathtub hooch. Oh, yes. If your period had a Patronus, what would it be? I think like a Cobra. Ooh. It's like slinking along and then strikes and then goes away. That's oh my amazing. God. Ooh, that's Incredible. good. It's kind of sexy too. Love yeah. it. It's a power period. And it's dark like that. Uh, those are clots. Yeah. <laughs> um, final question. Uh, if your period could affiliate with a political party, which party would it be? 
Well, I think my period doesn't pay attention early in the primary season, you know, kind of not a very engaged, you know, voter right away. But then as the field starts to narrow, like, you know, finds a candidate that she loves and like goes all in, you know? So I, I'm trying to think who that would be the cycle, but really it's gotta be one of the Democrats. So for sure, a Democrat and the kind of Democrat who's going to be out there like knocking doors and phone banking too. So Beto, wow. Beto O'Rourke. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, no, please no. Jumping, <laughs> jumping on countertops and, and wave, waving yeah. his privilege around. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, Dr. Kate, is there anything else that you want to say or is there anything else the Blosts want to say? Oh, just thank you yeah. so much. Dr. Kate, this was amazing. This was so educational. And if only you would come to my middle school, I would be <laughs> set up for so much more success. So thank you so, so much. Yeah, I would say just to the listeners and to you guys that you should never feel embarrassed about asking questions about your body. You should know exactly how your body works and why it does the things that it does. And if you have a gyno who you don't think you can ask these questions to and ask questions about your health and your body and what it does and what it smells like and what it looks like and about sex and about your bladder and about everything, if you don't have that kind of relationship with your gyno, you should find another one because there are a lot of amazing doctors out there who would love to partner with you and make you feel so much better about your health and about your health care. Dr. Kate, thank you so much. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. You guys, I'm sad this is over. I know. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll do this again. Um, we will definitely do it again. Absolutely. You guys are amazing. Thank you so much for doing this. Oh, thank, thank you. you. Thank Kate. you so much You're for being with us. too. Hey, bye. Oh, I love you, Dr. Kate. Dr. Kate, I want you're her back. the best. At least once Come a season, back. if not once a week. Yes. <laughs> Every episode. Yeah. This is just the Dr. Kate podcast. Um, one thing that I really took away from her is I haven't been to the gynecologist often recently. Like I did a lot when I was in my early 20s because I had that weird colposcopy business. But mm. um, advocating for yourself. That is that is a theme that we've heard from Michelle. That is a theme I've heard from both of you yeah. who have been to the gynecologist recently. Like, it's, it's something we really need to do is advocate for ourselves. Mm-hmm. And I, it really stuck out to me just in other medical things that I might come across. Um, but also not to say sorry for asking. Yeah. I love that she said that. It's so true. And it really struck me how she was talking about how people apologize for their boobs and their I labia know. and their hair. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm sure I've done that yeah. at, at the gyno. Um, As I've, if they haven't seen everything under the sun. Yeah. yeah. I've definitely apologized for stinky feet. Oh, yeah. Me yeah. too. Because I have stinky feet. You know. I wear Toms without socks. I'm crazy. Whoa. Whoa, Meg. <laughs> living, living on the edge. Um, I just feel like she's on our side. Yeah. Like, yeah. there's often so much of a divide between people in the medical profession and the patients that it feels like you're trying to, like, navigate this crazy system and, like, not catch people being bad, but, like, you're on high alert to to look out for people trying to you know, not give you the the quality of care that you deserve and it can put you in like a really hyper sensitive place, hyper vigilant place. Yeah. And like with Dr. Kate, I feel like with these episodes, I was just breathing like sighs of relief over and over and over again, knowing that there are people in the profession that like get it <laughs> and they truly yeah. want to help. 
I mean, I'm sure there are plenty of doctors that truly want to help. Like, that's why they get into it. But the system is not always set up to yeah. to make that obvious. Yeah. Yeah. And possible. Yeah. yeah. So, thank uh, you, Dr. Kate. Thanks, Dr. Kate. So Yay. sad that's over. I know. <laughs> we need to come up with when to have her back. I, w- listening ASAP. back to that episode, I was like, oh, I got more questions. Yeah. No. Oh, good. <laughs> we'll just keep collecting them. Yeah. If you could, if the listeners at home Absolutely. have questions, please send them in. We want any excuse to bring Dr. Kate back. So the more qu- cues you send, the better Can for you us. imagine if she was in the studio with us? Uh, oh, I would absolutely fly to Boston to I don't care. We'll do it. It might be cheaper to fly her here. I mean, yeah. Oh, that's She could sleep on Meg's fair. Murphy bed. Smart, yeah. smart, I'm smart. sure she'd love that. Um, yeah. Great. Awesome. So in honor of our Dr. Kate series, of course we wrote a song. Of course. Of course. Dr. Kate, this is dedicated to you. This song might not be that familiar to many people, but it's a song <laughs> called Kate by Ben Folds 5. It's near and dear to Kate. <laughs> and now to the blissful. <laughs> She sees patients every day, makes them feel okay, gather around and give them a pat. Oh, your uterus, it is pear shaped. When all docs fail, she speaks her metaphors of masterpiece. Turns up the mirror so you can take a peek. Oh, wow. Don't, Don't apologize, your vulva is fine. It's fine. And she can see the polyps on your tubes, yeah. Ovaries, spread your knees. We love Dr. Kate. listeners thank you so much for listening and by the way do you like art that makes you smile but also that represents the menstruators experience i do well <laughs> well then you'll love our next episode because we have artists annie wong and crystal Rowe Yay! on the show yes yes they yes. are two amazing visual artists that we interviewed a while back like we've been sitting on this for a while yeah it's okay though if you have in snapchat or instagram typed in vagina or periods or uterus you have seen annie wong's art it's that angry uterus and oh, the clay and the uterus. happy and the happy, happy uterus, uterus and the menstrual cup surfing on a wave that's annie wong aka yeah. head explody and we're talking to her next week yeah so Yay. get on board until then keep calm and, and bleed, bleed everywhere, everywhere. Our theme song was performed by The Go Ahead. Check out more at thegoaheadmusic.com.